myself because I tend to move around a little bit and wave my arms and oh look at that I don't have a pocket in the front of my pants <laughs> I have a pocket in the back okay that'll work um so I'm really excited to be here today no you're not hearing me okay I pushed a button one more time You know, it's not on. So let's, is that on? Yeah, there we go. Okay, that's much better. All right. One more time, just for fun. Okay, so I'm excited to be here today to talk to you all about God, Don't Let Me Get in Your Way, which um, it's really kind of funny because the basic premise of my talk today is about overcoming our fear. And it's a little bit ironic that I'm up here doing this because... Back in 2003, 2004, when I was in the Bear Valley program, I took Kathy Petrillo's class on public speaking, and I agonized my way through that quarter and said, never, never will I ever do public speaking. I'm, that's it. This is it for me. But yet here I am, and there she is, and thank you for not grading me today. <laughs> so, you know, th things change. Things change, and you never know how they're going to change. But um, I apologize to any of you student girls that are here because you'll get a little bit of a repeat um, from our class on Wednesday night but um, like they talked about a little bit my experience in going to Vanuatu it was very difficult for me I was I wanted to do mission work but I wanted to do mission work somewhere more modern <laughs> and Vanuatu was not very modern and I had a lot of fear involved in that experience and I just wanted to share with you um, I like to write obviously and used to write in my journal just about as I dealt with things and after um, the guys on our mission team decided we're going to Vanuatu I was just like no <laughs> I can't do that and I was writing in my journal and I, I included that as part of my story in my book and I said to tell you the truth I am scared I'm scared of the unknown I'm scared of living in a place where the plumbing is not so great I can endure a hole in the ground for the sake of camping, but can I really deal with it every Sunday? This thought frightens me. I'm afraid of living primitively because I am not sure if I can do it. How do I know if these are legitimate concerns or if I should just suck it up and be tough? I know living in a situation that is more primitive will help me develop character, but I am not so sure I want it. <laughs> I am unsure. And sure of myself and what I want and what I can do. I don't have doubts about Aaron. I have no doubt about what he wants and what I know he can do. It is me. I am unsure. I am scared. I'm concerned. I'm cautious and confused. You know, fear is something that's common to all of us, right? We all deal with things. Some of those things are little things like... I'm terrified of birds. I know it's kind of dumb. I mean, people think it's the silliest thing in the world, but I am. They're just like, they flap and they, ah, I don't like birds at all. What are you scared of that's just kind of minor? Spiders. It's not minor. Spider. Okay. Yeah. Well, okay. I feel the same way about birds. That's true. Okay. Spiders. Snakes. Snakes. Snake. It's kind of funny how the same things always come up. Spiders, snakes, and then the odd bird person. Um, anybody else? Change. Change. Okay. That's a great one to jump us into the other category of our fears, which is those big fears. 
change is big and it's scary. We sometimes fear losing a loved one. Um, when we have little kids, we fear that something might happen to them, that they might get lost in a store and we might not be able to find them or, you know, just all the variety of bigger fears that can come into our life and have kind of a big impact on our spiritual life. And really what fear is, fear is a roadblock. Fear is a roadblock. You know, like I talked about my fear of going to Vanuatu. I wanted to do mission work, but I wanted to do it somewhere modern because number one fear, I'm a comfort zone kind of girl. I do not like to get out of my comfort zone. I like to stay just right where I'm very comfortable and happy and everything can go along just swimmingly and everything's great and wonderful. And if I have to step outside that comfort zone, then it's a very fearful thing for me because I also like knowing what to expect. I don't really like surprises. I mean, I like, you know, give me a surprise party. That's okay. But <laughs> those other kind of surprises I don't like because I'm a planner. I like to know exactly what to expect in a situation. And that can be a big roadblock when it comes to fears. And that's also because I have a very carefully constructed box. Do any of you identify with that feeling? Like this is the box that everything's fine if I'm inside my box and if I have to get outside my box, it's a little scary out there. And that's also because I don't like change always. Some changes are good, but those big changes where you don't know what to expect, it can be a roadblock to your faith. It can stop you. It can cause you all sorts of fears because I have problems with my own head. Do you have problems with your own head sometimes? <laughs> yes. I can't get outside of my own head sometimes. And when we were faced with, when they made the decision to go to Vanuatu, I was like, I couldn't get outside my head. All I could think was, no, this is not what I had planned. In my head, I had planned, we're going to go to Fiji, and it's a little more modern, and this is how our life will be. And when they said, no, we're going to go to Vanuatu instead, I was like, whoa, <laughs> this is not what I had planned. And I could not get outside my head, and it was a big wrestling match with God to get there. And then what does that cause? the need for flight. I just wanted to run away. That's all I could think was like, I can't do this. I'm not ready for this. I just want to quit and run away and not go. And that was a very difficult time. And I wrestled with that decision a lot um, of whether or not to go to Vanuatu, whether I could, whether I could do it. Because what happens is, is you have to hit the button twice. You get smack in God's way, right in the middle of what he's trying to do. Here he was offering us this opportunity to go to Vanuatu and share the gospel with people who really needed to hear it. But I was right in the middle of his way, all because of my fears of going there. Oh, y'all got handouts. I'm sorry. I didn't know we were doing a notebook thing. So I, I'm handout queen. So I made handouts. So you, there you go. anyway, so the thing is when you get smack in God's way, it's like there are things that God wants to do to work through us. There are things he's trying to do. He is making an effort. And he's saying, look, here it is. I've got this opportunity for you. But he has a plan that he wants, that he would like to work through you. But we kept getting in his way. 
And that's exactly what my fear was doing. But you know, fear isn't the only way that we get in God's way. There are all sorts of roadblocks. There's actually five-ish, I said five-ish because one kind of goes together, ways that we get in God's way. And if you notice kind of on my PowerPoint, you know, God's saying, I want you to go this way, but all these other things are working in the opposite direction. One, the first way is fear. And there's probably more than five-ish, but we went with five-ish today. So for number one is fears. Number two, excuses. <laughs> How often do we use excuses when God's asking us to do something, when he's providing an opportunity for us? Number three, distractions. Just the simple little everyday things that we let take precedence in our life. Distractions. Number four, that's why it's five-ish, temptations and sins. I kind of coupled them together because one sometimes leads to another, and that can be a big roadblock to our faith and getting in God's way. And then number five, short-sightedness. Not being able to see beyond what we think about a situation. Not being able to see the big picture of what God is, is offering to us. So we tend to get smack in his way, don't we? So how do you feel when someone gets in your way when you're driving? Does anybody here have a little, you know, minor Christian road rage? <laughs> it's very frustrating, right? Like it just, uh. okay, so I had to have a picture because you just, you need that visual. So if this was a woman and I had a red car, this would have been me on this one particular day, which I'm going to tell you about. See, one day God brought this woman into my life and Aaron and I call her green car lady because we don't know who she is. But apparently she was on the same morning schedule that we were on when we would take Malia to school. And she was going to work. We knew she worked at Taco Bell because we'd always see her car there. But if green car lady was in front of us, you know you're not going to get anywhere very quickly. So we would, you know, oh, there's green car lady. Okay, we're going to get in the other lane and we're going to speed up and so we can get around her because green car lady was very slow. Very, very slow. Well, one day I was taking Malia to school. I don't remember where Aaron was. He was doing something else. Um, and I was taking Malia to school and we're just chatting back and forth and I'm not really paying attention, which is a problem because I get to the stoplight and three cars ahead of me is green car lady. I'm like, great, there she is. The light turns green, you get a green arrow, and normally on this green arrow, you can get like six or seven cars through that light, but not that day, because green car lady is first. <laughs> and she, I'm not kidding you, she was driving six miles an hour through that intersection. You know, there she goes. And I was just like, and at that point, you know, it's getting close to, you know, we need to be dropping Malia off at school. I, I'm, we're ready to be there. But green car lady's there, and she is just taking her old sweet time getting through that light. And we get through the light, and I would think, okay, maybe she'll move over and let some of us pass her. No, she didn't do that. She just stayed right where she was. And I'm ashamed to admit it, but I'm going to tell you anyway. I just yelled at the top of my lungs, lady, get out! Now, that's probably not the example I should have set forth for my child because <laughs> it's not, you know, you probably shouldn't do that. And it wasn't my most shining Christian moment. I admit it. I, I probably should have handled that in a different way. But I was just like, 
mm, so frustrated because I had somewhere I wanted to be, something I wanted to do, and Green Car Lady was just smacking my way, and I wanted her to move. And then as I'm working through this topic and I'm thinking, you know, I wonder if that's how God felt about me. Way back when, back in 2003, four, when he was offering us the opportunity to go to Vanuatu and he's saying, Cindy, here is this opportunity to go teach people the gospel. You already know what they're like. You know that they, they want to hear the truth. They're excited to study the Bible but you just won't get out of the way. I was stuck in my own fear. I was right in the middle of what God wanted to do, and I would not get out of the way because I could not see past those fears. But what does God do when his children won't get out of his way? Oh, I was supposed to do this already, but that's okay. What does God do when his children won't get out of his way? He gently tries to move them. You know, over and over today, we've talked about how good God is. When we face trials, when we're going through struggles, he is so patient with us, and he is so kind, and he's so faithful, and he's so loving, and he knows when we're struggling. And he doesn't just yell and scream and shove and do the things that I did to Green Carly when she was in my way. He just gently tries to move us. And it's funny because it turns out I'm not the only one that had that kind of struggle. We're going to look at 1 Kings chapter 19. So turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 19. And we're going to look at encouraging Elijah. Elijah has just, I mean, he's just witnessed one of the most amazing displays of how great God is when he was there with the prophets, um, prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, and God proves how awesome he is. But yet Elijah also has King Ahab and Queen Jezebel working against him. And Elijah should already know how great God is. But when Jezebel comes to him with a threat, what does he do? Let's look in uh, 1 Kings 19, starting in verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and even more if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. How does Elijah respond to this? Verse 3, And he was afraid and he arose and he ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. Elijah was terrified. He was terrified of what Queen Jezebel had said. He didn't want to be messing with her. And his only inclination, he could not see past his fear, his only inclination was to run. Get out of here. Get away. Well, then he goes from there. And if you look on, on down in those verses, if you keep going, we're going to see that he's going to journey for 40 days outside of Beersheba to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. And that's down in verse 8. So when I first read this, I thought, 40 days, that's, that's kind of a long time to be whining about your problems, right? 
Well, you know, how many times do we agonize about something that's a month out? 40 days is just a little over a month. Something looming in the future, you see it coming, you know it's about to happen, and we worry ourselves to death about it, right? We all do it. Some of us more than others. <laughs> but that's exactly what Elijah did. He was still 40 days later, and he is still worrying about the situation, even though God had gotten him up, and he fed him, and he gave him food and drink, and he sent him off, and he's taking care of him. But Elijah's still worrying about that problem. But I love this in verse 9 when God confronts Elijah. Then he came there to a cave and he lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Like to me, that's so encouraging because God was not like, What are you doing here, Elijah? I already showed you that I'm going to, you know, I'm God. I can handle anything. To me, I see that compassion of God. He sees Elijah in his fear. He knows what he's wrestling with. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? He feels Elijah's heart. He knows what he's dealing with. In verse 10, we see three reasons that Elijah can't see past his fear. Verse 10 says, he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the son of Israel has forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone and left and they seek my life to take it away. Elijah sees the failures of God's people. All he can see are the failures of God's people, a divine plan that he doesn't see how it will ever work. He says, this is never going to work. An abandonment and certain death. He could not get outside his own head for the fear that he felt in that situation. But how does God respond? If you look down through verse 21, we're not going to take the time to read through it all, but God is going to reveal himself to Elijah. He's going to reassure Elijah that he's not alone. He provides help and support through Elisha, and he proves himself faithful to care because that's who our God is. He really does care. He is faithful to care when we are struggling against our own fears. You go from the Old Testament, and you go to the New Testament. And my favorite character also, Peter. Love Peter. Love Peter because he's just a little bit like me, I think. Just kind of really gung-ho, and then like, oh, wait, never mind. <laughs> he's just, I don't know. I just, I love Peter. Peter is very bold and zealous in his faith. We see in Matthew 14, he's walking on water, um, and he says, Jesus, command me to come to you. And then what does he say just a few minutes later? Lord, save me. <laughs> you know, so bold and zealous in his faith, and then like, oh, wait, no, I'm afraid. I'm actually literally scared. Matthew 16, when Jesus predicts his death, what does Peter say? God forbid it that this should ever happen to you. He's so bold and zealous, and yet he falls short. In Matthew 26, we're going to flip over to Matthew 26. Peter proclaims his devotion to Christ. And he says, all may fall away, but not me. Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. But what do we know about Peter? What happens in Matthew 26? He denies Jesus. Here he made this bold statement for all he wanted to do for Christ. And yet he goes behind in the face of fear and he denies Christ. When fear sets in, he denies Christ. So this is kind of just a little side note. It's an extra little tidbit. You don't even have to pay for it today. 
But if you look at Matthew 26 and verse 74, when Peter denies Jesus, says, Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know the man, and immediately a rooster crowed. Now, I don't know if y'all have ever seen this shirt, this t-shirt. It says, I love Jesus, but I cuss a little bit. Have you ever seen that shirt? It comes marching through our chiropractic office where I work every once in a while, and I'm just like, really? You know, if you ever have the opportunity to show someone this verse, Matthew 26, 74, what does Peter do to emphasize that he has no part with Jesus? He curses and swears. He he is going to make sure those people know he has nothing to do with Christ. So the whole idea of I love Jesus, but I cuss a little bit, those two don't go together. That's just a free little tidbit. It's just I'll get off my soapbox now because just kind of mm, gets under my skin. But fear is a powerful adversary, isn't it? You know, Peter, he denies Jesus in the face of his fear. It is a powerful adversary. It can take a well-meaning follower to a broken believer. And that's really what it did to Peter because it crushed him when he realized what he did. That's why it says he wept bitterly. He knew exactly what he did because you cannot get much worse than denying that you knew, ever knew the one man who had been your teacher and your friend and was about to prove himself your savior. That's pretty bad. That's why Peter wept bitterly because he saw what he had done to Jesus. But we know our God and he understands us and he knows when we're struggling. And if you'll turn over to John 21, we see the continuation of that story. After Jesus has died on the cross and he comes back to life, John 21, 15 through 17. says, so when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. And I know probably almost all of you are familiar with the idea that there's two different kinds of love used here. There's agape love and there's phileo love. That twice Jesus asked Peter, do you prefer me? That agape love is a preference. Do you prefer me more than any of these other people sitting here with you today? But what does Peter answer twice? Lord, I phileo, I friend, love you. That's the best I can do. That had to crush Jesus, you know? How do you think he felt when Peter, all he could say was, I don't love you more than these. I don't preference you over these. I just friend love you. That he had to be disappointed. I mean, I think if it was me, I would have been really disappointed in that maybe discouraged or sad. But you know what? Jesus is essentially asking Peter, are you ready? You know, Peter has, he's bold and zealous. He's shown Jesus over and over. This is how much I love you. But then when the rubber met the road, he fell. And here he is again. Jesus is saying, I'm giving you another opportunity 
to show me how much you love me. But what does Peter do? He falls again. He falls again. But guess what? Jesus knows Peter. He knows Peter just like he knows us. And I truly believe that he loved Peter's passion. He just wanted to direct it in the right way. He lovingly met Peter where he was and showed him where he wanted to be. He said, tend my sheep. We don't see in there Jesus saying, oh, all you can do is love me as a friend. Okay, well, off with you. I have no more use for you. That's not what Jesus says to him. He says, tend my sheep. Here is something I am offering you, this opportunity. And if you will rise to the occasion, I can do something great with your life. He picks Peter up and he shows him the way to be the man Jesus wants him to be. You know, he can tell, God can tell the difference between an earnest desire that is held back from serving just because of fear and somebody who just doesn't even care. That's only using that fear as an excuse to keep from having to do what God is asking them to do. He knows the difference because he sees our hearts. And I truly believe that Jesus saw Peter's heart, that desire to serve, but that fear that was holding him back. And he picked up Peter and he offered him, tend my sheep. So, but then there's this other person we got to deal with, Cindy. <laughs> and I labeled this stretching Cindy because that's really what it was. This whole moving to Vanuatu thing. How did my overcome my fear of moving to Vanuatu? It was with a great amount of stubbornness <laughs> because I really fought and I wrestled with God over it. But I knew there is a great opportunity there. I just didn't know how to get from I'm terrified to I can do this. But I prayed about it, thought about it a lot. I wrote in my journal and I overcame my fear because if God was going to be able to use me, he had to change me and I had to let him change me. And that's the key. Before God can use me, I have to let him change me. I did not actually have room for this verse in my manuscript. I'm sorry, Carla. I really want to. But I was like, but I'm going to talk about it because I love it. So Carla, when she asked me to speak on this topic, she brought out this verse. And I was like, mm, that's a great verse. Proverbs 29, 25. Turn over in your Bible to Proverbs 29, 25. Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man brings a snare. But he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. How does fear become a snare? What does a snare do? It grabs. It grabs. It holds on tight. It, you think about an animal that's headed, you know, it's just doing its little animal thing, looking for some food or whatever it's doing. And it, if it gets grabbed by a snare, it grabs hold of them. They're not going anywhere. A fear can be like that. It grabs hold of us and it keeps us from doing what we need to do. And that's exactly what that fear of going to Vanuatu did to me. It grabbed hold of me, and it wasn't going to let me go very easily. But the second part of that verse says, But he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. You know, that word exalted can mean safe, secure, lifted on high, lifted up out of whatever mire you're in. God can lift you up out of that and set you back on the path where you need to be and release that snare, release that fear. And that's exactly what God did for me. I don't know how 
I could have done that without him, without his help. Because Cindy Baker was a girl of fear. And I told, you know, at one point, I was like, Aaron, I can't do this. I don't want to go to Vanuatu. I just, I don't think I can do it. It's going to be too hard. It's too primitive. You know, the flushing toilet thing, I just like... (laughs) I really, I like, I love camping, but I never wanted to camp where there weren't flushing toilets. I I know it's silly. It's just a toilet, but it really is an important thing. But it was the big thing to me. You know, that was that big thing. One of several big things. But when we are securely in God's care, he, and we trust him to take care of all those little details, all those details of things that we're worried about. He can lift us up out of those things because he is able. We may not be able. We may be always getting in his way with what we've got going on. Those fears and distractions and excuses and sins and temptations. There's always going to be roadblocks that keep us in his way, but he can remove those and he can take those away from us and put us where he needs us to be because he is able. He is the reason that we can do the things we can do. I'm behind, but that's all right. Okay. What is trust's biggest obstacle? Proverbs 3, verse 5. Y'all know this verse. Everybody knows this verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. What's the second part? Lean not on your understanding. What is trust's biggest obstacle? My own understanding. It's those things that I'm thinking in my head that are holding me back. That's what's my problem that holds me back. Trust's biggest obstacle is the things I think I know. You know, the things I thought I knew about Vanuatu are the things that almost kept me from going there. I had, like um, Martha was telling you, we had Kayla before we moved to Vanuatu. She was nine months old. Well, Vanuatu is a third world country. The city's fairly modern-ish. <laughs> I say ish because it's not real nice, but it's fairly modern-ish. Outside the city, it's a third world country. I looked at their lifestyle, at the dirt, just the way they lived, and I'm like, sanitation's not always great. And I thought, I can't take my baby there. She is going to get sick, and she's going to die, and it's just, it's going to be horrible. I cannot do this. But... God showed me and he taught me and what I learned in the end was it really she didn't get any sicker than any American child (laughs) we dealt with the obstacles as they came we dealt with any sickness as it came and we found a way because God taught me through that I thought I knew and y'all are going to laugh at me because these are kind of silly but you know you know how the head is you can't get out of your head you just think of all sorts of silly things and mine was I was like I have to wear a skirt every day like every single day I can't ever wear jeans or shorts or pants like I know it's kind of silly but that's how I really thought like I just thought that I would not I was going to be unhappy wearing a skirt every day but you know what funny thing is it's hot and humid there most of the time and what's super cool skirts because all that air is just flowing around inside and so happy (laughs) so you know what it turned out to be okay that huge thing that I thought was just such a big deal having to wear a skirt every day turned out to be like this amazing blessing like skirts are wonderful so it turned out to be okay and God taught me it'll be all right I got several of these because I had all kinds of I had all kinds of issues going on in my head. Um, the 
local dish, the national dish with black lap, which is kind of this, it's, it's sort of bland and it doesn't always look it. If you've ever had poi in Hawaii, very similar. It's a root crop that's real ground up and kind of mushy, and then they add coconut milk and they pour it out over banana leaves, essentially banana leaves. And then sometimes they'll put meat on it, sometimes they'll put like island cabbage, which is sort of like spinach, and wrap it up and then cook it on hot stones until it just gets kind of rubbery and chewy. <laughs> lap lap is not, to most people, lap lap is not delicious. <laughs> when we had tried it the first time, I was like, oh, this is kind of gross. <laughs> but, you know, so the prospect of having to eat lap lap all the time when we were in Vanuatu, I was like, I don't think I can do this. Because I was not an adventurous eater back in the day. I, you know, because I'm comfort zone girl. I, 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 I got to eat stuff I'm familiar with. So I would eat a couple bites just to make them happy. And then I'm like, hey, kid. Got some lap lap, have you know, just pass it off when nobody's looking, that kind of thing. So I, I worked through that, but guess what? Lap lap is an acquired taste, like a lot of things. You know, it's all about what you're used to, right? That's why people in other countries can eat goat, and we think that's kind of weird because we don't eat goat in America usually, and they don't think anything about it because it's all in what you're used to. Well, guess what? The more I ate lap lap, the more I was like, oh, this isn't so bad. This is, this is all right. You know, it's not going to kill me. So I'd eat more whenever I was served it. And then, you know, I got, well, okay, it's, 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 it's not so bad. I'm going to be all right. Well, then one day I was pregnant with Malia. And you know how it is when you're pregnant. You always want to eat, right? <laughs> you're always hungry. And one of our local friends brought me a plate of lap lap, and it would happen to be the kind that I really liked. It was like kind of rolled up with all this, this coconut milk inside it. And I was like, oh, thank you. And I took a bite and I was like, mmm. And Aaron was like, what did you just do? <laughs> I had arrived. I liked lap lap, and now I actually look forward to eating it. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to go back to Vanuatu and have some more lap lap. So you, you can come a long way, but God taught me if I was willing to try, then he could take me where I needed to be. I had to be willing to change. My last one is a little more serious. I really, I looked at the people that live there and I thought, what do I have in common with these women? They live totally different than me. They dress totally different than me. Their culture is super different than me. I, we don't have the same interests and hobbies. I'm never gonna have any friends here, like close friends. And I was leaving America where I had lots of close friends. And I thought, you know, it's just gonna be five years. I'm just gonna have to survive it and it's gonna be hard. But you know what? God taught me that people really are the same everywhere. Down at the core, we are all exactly the same. We have the same worries and fears. We have the same loves. We love to laugh. We love to joke. We love our children. We love our husband. We like, we get in little arguments with our families and then have to sort all that out. Like we're all the same, essentially. And God taught me like, that's gonna be okay. And now when I look at the faces of those people there, like it just, it breaks my heart that it's been so long since I've been back because of COVID, we haven't been back since 2019. I love those people. They are my close friends, they're my family. I cherish the time that I get to spend with them. And that was something that God taught me that people who are so different could become people that I love and I cherish. So how do we get there? 
Well, essentially, we have to edit our hearts. Editing is all about cut and paste, right? A lot about editing is cut and paste. Edit in dictionary.com says to revise or correct, to expunge, eliminate, often followed by out, and to add, usually followed by in. Essentially, when you edit, you take out the bad and you add in the good. That's what I had to do. During that time that I had to work on myself, I made a list every night. I sat in my little apartment over in Inglewood, and I'm like, I'm gonna write down one good thing about going to Vanuatu. And some of those things were just as simple as, we get to eat pineapple. <laughs> you know, it's, it's hot there and I like to be warm. <laughs> I don't like to be cold. Simple little things. A month later, I was excited about going to Vanuatu because I had prayed about it, I had given it to God, and I was determined to change my way of thinking. Eliminate the bad, add in the good. Cut the fear, paste the faith. I spend a lot of time in God's Word, a lot of time in prayer. That's the stuff we have to add in. When we're facing something in our lives that's holding us back, we have to apply ourselves to those things that are going to help build up our faith and help get us out of God's way. Cut the fear, paste the faith. So how do we edit? How am I doing on time? Am I like way behind? Okay, all right, I'll try and move it a little quicker. Okay, how do we edit? We follow Paul's example. I'm gonna go through these kind of fast. We're not gonna look up all of the scriptures because you're gonna be familiar with the life of Paul, but number one thing we have to do, implore implore God's help. When you think about Paul on the road to Damascus and he is blinded and he falls to his knees, he implored God's help in that moment. He was once this man of youthful vigor and he's got all this hate-filled anger and rage and he's, you know, he can do anything because he's powerful in his rage. But yet he finds himself stricken on the ground begging for God's help and begging him to show him the way. We have to realize we are utterly dependent on God. We cannot do, we can't do life without God, really. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. I love this verse. I read it in the girls' class on Wednesday night because it's becoming one of my favorites. 2 Corinthians 9, or sorry, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When we depend on God in our weakness, he is the one who makes us strong. Next, we have to desire to change. You know, it's easy to think, oh, I need to change, but we have to desire that. How determined are you to change? You think about that thing in your life that's holding you back from what God wants you to do, from an opportunity he's put into your lap. How much do you want to change? How bad do you want it? In Acts 9, 20 through to 29, right after Saul's been converted, he faced opposition. I called it opportunistic opposition because Satan was taking every opportunity to pull him back. He didn't want Saul to be faithful. He did not want him to become Apostle Paul and a strong leader in the church. He had opposition without. In verse 23, we see that people are trying to kill him. 
They wanted to kill him. And in verse 27, he's got opposition within. Within the church, there were people that were like, we don't want anything to do with this guy. And, you know, you can kind of understand why they felt that way because everything that Saul had done. (laughs) So, but yet... He had to overcome that. He had that desire to change. He wanted to preach the gospel more than anything. And he had that desire to change. You have to want it more than what's standing in your way. Third, we have to trust God to help us change. Even after we make a decision to change, it's not always easy. It's not always smooth sailing. There's going to be hard days. There's going to be rough days. There's going to be doubts. There's going to be fears that creep back up. But when you look at Philippians 1, uh, 19 through 21, I said we weren't going to read all these, but this one's just so good, I have to. Philippians 1, 19 through 21. Paul says, yes, and I will rejoice, picking up at the end of verse 18, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul had that determined trust. He was going to trust God no matter what, whether by life or by death, he was going to put his trust in God. And that is where he put his trust because to live is Christ and to die is gain. And last, we have to make an effort. Change requires continuous momentum in the direction we want to go. You can't just say, oh yes, I want to change, but I'm gonna sit right here and wait for it to come my way. (laughs) It doesn't work that way. It takes effort, it takes hard work. Effort is a daily thing. 1 Corinthians 9, 26 and 27 talk about how we have to discipline our bodies. If you look at different various versions of that verse, sometimes it's discipline is translated beat, punish, pummel, strike a blow. Obviously, it's not talking about a physical discipline, but discipline is a painful mode of change, isn't it? Sometimes (laughs) we don't always like it but it gives us the fruit that we want. It gives us that end result that we're aiming for. Editing is all about rearranging. Implore, desire, trust, effort. What do you get when you rearrange those letters? Oh, you end your slideshow. No, you back up real fast so nobody misses anything. Okay, there we go. That was supposed to be really clever. So just pretend like that didn't happen. When you mix up those letters, you get edit because that's essentially what you're doing. You're editing your heart. You're editing your mindset so that you can get out of God's way and let him use you for his plan, for what he wants to do. Getting out of God's way helps our faith to grow. It doesn't mean that it's always going to be easy, and it doesn't always mean you're going to be cured once and for all. (laughs) Sometimes those things are going to creep back up, and you got to fight them back down. But it's easier every time we do it. I found this online, and I really like this picture because here you've got this big idea. Oh, great, big idea. I've got this dream I want to do, and it's a challenge. How do you get from that challenge and move forward? You have to push yourself outside of your comfort zone. You have to push yourself to try it. And after you try it, eventually you're going to change. That change is going to come, and as you change, then what happens? You grow. And you grow, and you suddenly find, hey, I'm outside my comfort zone. Well, guess what? 
the next time you've got a big idea in front of you and a big obstacle in your way, what are you going to do? It's going to be that much easier to work your way through that and push yourself outside your comfort zone because you already did it once and God already proved to you that he's going to carry you through that, which I loved our lesson earlier um, that I shouldn't have started that sentence. What's her name? <laughs> Emily. Yes, thank you. But Emily had. Like, you got to push yourself because God is going to carry you through those trials. That was excellent, excellent example of that. Leaving your comfort zone is not easy, but you know what you can find in the end? If we do leave our... Oh, I did it again. If we'll just get out of God's way, we just might see that hiding behind our biggest worries and fears are some of our greatest blessings. And that's really, truly what going to Vanuatu turned out to be for me. I didn't think that that was even possible in the beginning. I just wanted to survive in the beginning. And then as I pushed myself more and more, I realized I didn't want to just survive. I wanted to live and enjoy and make the most of my time there. And looking back, it really was one of the greatest blessings of my life, the seven years that we spent there. It was not easy. There were a lot of challenges. There were a lot of hard times. But there were so many wonderful blessings from that life that I never thought possible. God really can lead us through those things if we will get out of his way. And I'll end it for real. It's easy for speakers to preach to people and say, this is what you ought to do when they haven't done it themselves. But to listen to somebody like Cindy who has lived it and knows what it's like to be paralyzed with fear and then say, God, it's in your hands and realize she was able to go far beyond you places she ever thought she'd go is amazing and encouraging because that means I can also face my fears. Thank you so much. One of the things that we watched Cindy do, because we've been with her since she was in school, when they went over to Vanuatu, this little baby was only nine months old, but she opened doors for them. She would let everybody hold them, every, and a baby opens doors for people. She was she was a tool. I mean, it's a sweet tool. You know, it wasn't like she never used it. She opened, opened those doors for them. I'm so proud of Cindy. Carla, do you have anything else? All right. This is the last session for this afternoon. We will see you all, Lord willing, in the morning when we have more. I don't know if you feel like your cup has been filled today. Well, come tomorrow empty because it'll be filled again. Before we go, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the women that have been here today. We thank you for the speakers who've challenged us to grow. And we pray, Father, that we would take what they say and your word and challenge ourselves to grow. Father, we love you, and we are so thankful that we are children of yours. In your son's name, amen. You're dismissed. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah.
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.